Welcome to E-Commerce with Coffee, a podcast powered by Amber Engine, where we share e-com secrets for brands over your favorite brew. We start with the caffeine and then leap enthusiastically into behind-the-scenes e-com insights that led to the success of our guests. I'm Nate Svoboda, and I'm about to serve you up the best. Let's get started. Welcome to today's episode of e-commerce with coffee. In this conversation, I am speaking with Thomas Vosper. He is the CEO and co-founder of Aisle 3, and he's setting out to improve the shopper's buying journey um, by building a platform where purchasers can be fully confident in the products that they are selecting. Uh, So Thomas, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me, Nate. Yeah, really excited for the conversation. Um, But before we dive in, you know, I, I know at least in the first uh, eight months of aisle three. It's obviously been a you know, bit longer than that at this point. You guys have been around, but you were working seven, seven days a week, 20 hours a day. You know, you must caffeine must play some role in your life. Is that a fair assumption? Uh, yeah, so uh, absolutely right. The morning is pretty much powered by coffee and then the evening working sessions are probably powered by wine. Uh, and I think that's probably the outcome of the last couple of years working from home and managing a team remotely and working all hours in a startup. Nope, uh, that, that, that is said, it's, fair. It, it is the afternoon here in the UK. So considering as a founder, um, probably like many fellow founders, I rarely get much sleep. Uh, I'm actually at 4.30 in the afternoon on a cup of tea right now to uh, just control some of my caffeine intake. Any any particular type of tea? Is it you know just like a green, black, herbal? Nate, I'm English. It's a breakfast tea with proper milk in there it. We go. That's what I figured. <laughs> <laughs> Um, cool. Well, you know, really excited for all the stuff we're going to dive into today. Um, but, you know, before we do, can you give us an outline of aisle three and maybe more specifically, what is the problem that, you know, you set out to solve? Yeah, so uh, I've been in e-commerce for about 15 years, spent about half of that at uh, Amazon, joining when it was a very small team in the UK, building the marketplace there. A couple of years at Tesco, a couple of years in startups as well, a price comparison startup. And I think it's been one consistent theme over those last 15 years that despite everyone talking about being very customer centric, actually what's happening is we as shoppers have come to accept or adapt what is actually a pretty broken experience when we try and buy something online. And so I think, you know, many people listening, maybe you appreciate the same problem I find that even something trivial like trying to buy a pair of sneakers in a size that fits you, even though you know the brand and the color and maybe even the retailer that you want to go to, it becomes an exercise in opening up uh, six or seven different tabs across the top of your browser, trying to navigate your way through ads and pop-ups and text links. And, you know, over the last couple of years at R3, we've pulled together a team that really just don't want to accept or or adapt that that's the way that we should shop online. So can you talk to me then a little bit about the role aisle three plays and the responsibility on you, on the retailers versus on the brands? Yeah, so when when I think about uh, probably the defining moment in Amazon's history that catapulted it above eBay, which seems like a really bizarre thing to say right now, given those businesses, 
it was really their way of aggregating like the single detail page and then listing multiple merchants. But way back 15 years ago and, and ever since, that's been at the reliance of retailers and brands to actually provide product information into the Amazon ecosystem, just as they do into Google Shopping, just as they do into other platforms and marketplaces. And the standard of uh, data that is out there is, is uh, shall we say, varied and so this manifests itself with you seeing lots of duplicate listings and lots of ads or own brand products or very broken uh, product details and that's really painful for shoppers but it's also really painful for retailers and brands because it then puts them into this sort of catch-22 situation of like how do, how do you get found and actually then you probably have to put more budget to try and get yourself above the line to be seen um, even on marketplaces now which are littered with ads. It's a very difficult situation for retailers and brands as, as well as the shopper. So help me understand, you know, what are some of the critical things that consumers want or need to know today about a product before they hit the buy button? Well, look, I, I think there's, there's a, a bunch of fundamental questions that, um, that we look at when we buy, right? You know, you really want to see who's the cheapest, who's the most expensive, does my favorite retailer sell that product? Is there a particular promotion right now? Is it in stock? What speed of delivery? And it's really disjointed to try and find that information all in one central place. So going back to why we created R3, we kind of recognize that this whole ecosystem is powered by uh, there's, well, it's powered by feeds and by product details that are distributed by retailers. And that's really difficult to match up. And I've seen that intimately across three or four businesses now. And so we decided to see what would happen um, if we took the same sort of face recognition technology that watches you walk through an airport and say, uh, how about if we applied that to a bunch of different sneakers all pointing in different directions and see if we can try and use that alongside uh, a few other elements of secret sauce, which I, I kind of won't give away right now, um, that shows us to say, look, we could actually match all of these up and all of these unrelated retailers don't really even know each other exists. We can pull all the details together so that you as a shopper, next time you buy a pair of green Nike Air Force Ones, can genuinely see the six, seven, 20 to however many retailers it is that has that product available you see all the offers in one place right now you talked a little bit about the varied standard of data right and some people you know some people would say that it's pretty low right generally you know if you go to a manufacturer's site you know you'll find tons of content that they've developed most of the time but also a lot of the time that content doesn't make it to the retailer's website or you know to wherever so i guess help me understand why is that not happening uh, it's incredibly complex for retailers to manage their product catalogs and, and you know increasingly businesses are quite siloed in their thinking so they certainly can push out a lot of content or maybe they have some fantastic images and fantastic information on a product detail page but that uh, often doesn't translate itself into a product feed which sometimes contains no images or only one image. And of course, then there's a naming convention. So, you know, what is a unique identifier when you're trying to aggregate that on a marketplace or into something like Google Shopping? Do you use the barcode number? Is it the American version, UPC? Is it the EAN? Do you use a GTIN? Do the systems recognize a product code, a manufacturer number? You know, what is the right detail? And actually, just as a, as a small, like, 
anecdotal way to you know how humans also try and hack this system as well uh when i back in my amazon days way before amazon had entered grocery uh, there was a requirement to create this new detail page on Amazon. You would have to um, enter a, 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 should we say, a proper barcode number, so one that had been properly issued by GS1 or a proper organisation. Uh, and many sellers would try and do that so that they didn't appear on an aggregated view if they weren't necessarily the cheapest as a way to try and hack the system. Problem that this caused when we launched the grocery category is that where do you get barcodes from the for products that don't sell on Amazon? Like walk to the larder and open up uh, your cupboard and have a look at a tin of beans, which isn't sold on Amazon anytime soon. And so, of course, that was a huge data issue for the company when we launched the grocery category in the UK. And all of a sudden, these product detail pages that had got televisions and PlayStations on suddenly were being linked to a tin of beans, right? And the price of a tin of beans. And that's like, you know, one of the world's very biggest organizations that is powered by data whose fundamental business was catapulted ahead of all of its competitors because of an aggregated products page and a single detail page. And that's, that's a break straight away. Yeah. Well, and then, you know, obviously focusing on Amazon for just a second, when you go look at a product, I, I know I've had instances where I look at something and it'll have 20,000 five-star reviews. And you think to yourself, well, how how is that even possible? And sometimes you dig down and there have been times where the SKUs have been switched. And so the reviews are actually relevant to a completely different product. And so, you know, for me, I do that much research, but there are tons and tons of people that don't even do that much due diligence when they're trying to make a purchase online. And usually I just trust Amazon as the default. But, you know, there are even instances where you, you can't just do that. Yeah. Now, mm -hmm. go ahead. Well, so it's, it, you're right. It's a really good point. It's super interesting that there's there is um, a really rich ecosystem of platforms and and communities that talk about sellers and retailers as a rating, where you can leave your reviews on what happened when you walked into a store or what happened when you used a particular shop online. But you're right. Product reviews generally find themselves being confined to. Um, possibly incentivized or uh, some plain comedians actually I mean Amazon reviews historically are hilarious well I'm sure someone out there knows the uh, hair removals spike of sales that happened on Amazon once uh, try and look that one up or the three wolves t-shirt um, and it's fascinating but I guess where we see kind of reviews come in is that you know, we, we at R3 are fixing product aggregation from a technical aspect, but actually also product discovery and trust comes from community. And so we think that a vote from a friend is worth a thousand of these anonymized incentivized reviews. And by aggregating products, we enable you to not only see all of your offers, but then be able to save that onto your shopping list that you can then share with your, your friends or your family, your nearest or dearest, or if you have someone that's a particular expert and really give you an honest opinion on, on an item before you make a purchase. So you're super, super informed. Yeah, no, I love that. It's like going shopping. It's like going shopping with your friends, but a lot easier because you don't actually have to go with people in person. Absolutely. Um, and that's that doesn't really make it, you know, doesn't really impact whether you're the sort of shopper that is someone who is used to making your lists and filling out an Excel spreadsheet, like we can make that easy and then have one central place that you can share. Or if you're the person that wants to just see like what's at the top and make it quick and easy for me, we can also at that point give you the confidence of all of the offers that you otherwise wouldn't have seen. 
No, absolutely. Now, you know, something else that I know you've talked about before, you know, we obviously focus on Amazon, but there are other market, you know, e-marketplaces, I guess, or online marketplaces that have popped up that are either more niche or, you know, have some value that they're offering to the consumer beyond just, you know, here's Amazon, they sell everything, right? Do you believe that, you know, the increase uh, in like more niche marketplaces that offer that value is a benefit to the consumer? Or I guess, do you still believe in the end that, you know, that's not the right way to go? I think it's really interesting, first of all. Um, I think if you kind of go back historically through time, like the very big marketplaces and search engines become incredibly generic. And I think we do a very good job of patting ourselves on the back and saying, wow, that was pretty smart of me to be able to find that deal because that took ages rather than saying actually it shouldn't take that long and you shouldn't have to filter your way what's through. your time worth like, yeah time exactly like, looking for that deal exactly right you shouldn't have to filter through own brand products or challenger brand products or 75 percent of above the fold being ads um, and and that part is like i think we probably kind of congratulate ourselves a, a little bit there and so what's kind of got lost in all of this is that you know, the really big businesses are trying to win now in logistics or they're trying to win now in payments or building a platform. And so I definitely understand this rise of like the niche marketplace and the niche sellers, because what they're trying to do, similar to, to our, our mission, what we're trying to do is, is make shopping cheaper, quicker, easier and, and a lot more joyful by really thinking about, you know, what's that discovery piece? What's that trust piece? How do you how do you talk to the shopper before the buy button? Because that part's really been lost. Yeah. Well, and and actually to that point, another thing I wanted to get your your opinion on. So <clears throat> we've been hearing a lot more in recent years, right, about promoted products and ads on Amazon and you know a bunch of other channels. And theoretically, although these are paid ads, the sales channels incentivized to only show the ad to a consumer that would actually resonate with that ad, right? Because at the end of the day, if the user doesn't click, then no one's going to get paid on it. But how well or not, in your opinion, do you think that these algorithm anchored product information works um, when it actually comes to showing consumers what they're looking for and what they want? Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? The whole concept of ads is that we, in theory, shouldn't mind if we see a, a, a relevant targeted add to us at the right time um, but despite the sophistication of trillion dollar businesses I'm sure we all know that experience of looking for a sneaker in a brand in a color and then still seeing lots of ads that are for different colors or are text links that take us to a different site with out that color that we were looking for anywhere on that page. So absolutely, you would think that this is something that is optimized for shoppers because it, you know, it needs to be right for the retailers to be spending their advertising dollars and it needs to be a good experience for shoppers. But why is that not the case? That's a fair question. So trying to decide I mean, what, why, why do I, what I why why do I look for Nike on a search engine or a marketplace and get a different brand I, actually why did Nike have to pay to be the top by the way pay to be the top of their own sir of their own brand mm -hmm. name search term mm -hmm. that's a fair question 
Why should your competitor be able to win mm-hmm. if someone Googles your specific name? Mm-hmm. And, and there's a technical reason for that, by the way, because it's really, really incredibly difficult to uh, to manage vertical search. So, so Google search engines have excelled in being able to ingest as much information as possible and have a very horizontal search so that they can take you to the place where you are likely or most likely to find the right answer. But that's very different from actually wanting the exact answer. And that's very different. That's very, very difficult to solve when you have a commercial model which is encouraging uh, encouraging shoppers to click on five different answers because then you can charge five advertisers rather than just showing you one. And having you click once so there's a commercial model there and then there's also the data issues particularly in shopping that we've talked about which are incredibly challenging to solve and that's really the big opportunity that we're trying to fix right now and i think there's a handful of businesses by the way on the planet that that really get this that really get that there's an opportunity in e-commerce to aggregate all of that garbled data and put it into something that's super, super meaningful right at the front of the shopper before they even get to the buy button and show them exactly what they want at exactly the right time. And is that, and you know, obviously all of that is encompassed in what you guys are doing at aisle three, but is, are there any, you know, tools or solutions that either, you know, you and your teams are using or that you recommend that brands and retailers should start implementing in order to, to make this whole process easier? Gosh, that's like that a, yeah, that's like a super massive question there. <laughs> um, it's <laughs> uh, honestly, I can't really. If you had to that. narrow it down. Yeah, like I, I can't almost kind of really answer that one because there's so many different ways. I guess like it, how you do something and the tools that you use actually matters less than the actual philosophy and the mission and the vision you have behind the business. And and there's so many businesses that I hear that uh, talk about thinking about using data, but without actually really using it, they just look at it or thinking about being customer centric, but then they'd actually do stuff that isn't really customer centric. And so it's really very rarely a case of, of what you use. It's, it's how you using something. Can I, I'll give you one anecdote. I, I went to, I, uh, I won't name them and embarrass them, but at a very major conference with thousands of people in the room, a very huge retailer walked in for a keynote speech and said, now is a really important day for us. You know, we've built a great business, but we haven't always had our eye on the prize. And so we are going to think of nothing more than the customer going forwards. Nothing more, nothing else will be on our mind because that's what Amazon do. It's like, you were, I had you, you were, I was with you in that statement right up until that point because you're doing something because it's what somebody else does, right? Absolutely, you're watching the competition. So, you know, you always have to, as a, as a mindset, think about what, what are you doing for the customer? What's the right thing for the customer? And genuinely live and breathe that. Yeah, no, and that's that's super fair. And not to take us down uh, another rabbit hole, or you know, a yeah. rabbit hole, but you know, that's what uh, I think Steve Jobs always said in Apple, right? Is they weren't gonna look at what Dell and Microsoft and you know whatever were doing. They just wanted to compete against themselves, right? Con- continually make themselves better. So I see a lot of uh, similarities in what you just said there. Thank you. Um, <laughs> I'll take that as a huge compliment. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. Um, you know, 
I guess you talk about this universal view of shopping, right? That's something that I've heard you mention before. Can you expand upon that idea and really what do you mean by that? What does that look like for the consumer? Yeah, I, I have a vision that you never need to open another app or a tab to shop and that we fix that. We fix that right the way from finding a product, sharing that with your friends and family and, and getting advice on that product and then making a purchase through a single cloud basket, regardless of the retailer that sells that product. And so I have this vision that, you know, someone in uh, any country that we could name right now uh, opens a, an online store this evening and they upload their first few products into their inventory and we recognize that site exists. We understand the products on that site and we probably understand the products on that site as well as even the retailer themselves understands that product and can match all of those offers across lots and lots of different countries uh, and lots of different retailers who don't even know that they exist. And that's one single view for every single product and offer across the entire planet with a single checkout as well. Okay. No. And, and so that makes total sense. Now, this is another very loose ended question, kind of like a, the one a minute ago. So feel free to, to say that in the minute, but what are some of the things that need to be done on the brand or manufacturer and on the retailer side to support this universal view, right? Outside of just what you and your team at aisle three is doing. Uh, well, we would work very closely with retailers and brands. We currently have a waiting list of a thousand retailers right now uh, on our uh, waiting to join aisle three. Uh, we're always looking to work with those retailers to make sure that they're optimizing their data in a way that makes sense for us to be able to aggregate. But really the secret source for us is we can do that without the retailers involvement. And so, you know, we can do a lot of the heavy lifting when a retailer sees us as the uh, source of truth and white lists us as a business so that we're able to ingest their data from lots and lots of different sources so we can portray them in the best light. Yeah. Okay. So, you know, <laughs> I think that the answer to this, we've already discussed a little bit, but maybe I'm going to ask you to make a prediction mm -hmm. here. What should the consumer expect to change in terms of, you know, their experience when shopping online over the next three to five years, let's say? Uh, I really hope that the whole experience becomes a lot quicker and a lot easier. Uh, I hope that it causes a lot less anxiety and gives us all back a lot of more time in our lives. And I'd just like to expand on that because that's also something that I feel very strongly about. Um, firstly, it's very time consuming uh, to try and navigate through products that we're not interested, adverts that aren't relevant to us, and a really bad broken shopping experience. That has a number of different reasons which we talked about, part commercial, part data. But I think that needs to be solved. Um, and you know, I hope that that's something we can solve. Uh, if we don't, then I hope someone else solves it because I think it needs fixing. But the other thing that, that I find quite interesting and stimulating is that actually we are increasingly under time pressure and we're also increasingly under a high mental load over the last two years you know many individuals and you know i say this fully aware of the fact that if you worked in hospitality or, or, or you know another industry over the last two years it would have been a horrific experience thankfully you know I'm, I'm really grateful to have been able to build a business remotely because we're an online business and there are many people in a similar situation who's 
home lives and work lives have now kind of merged into one and you kind of sit and you work at the same desk in your house and that transcends from like working to then entertainment into shopping in the evening and it all kind of blurs into one and so we have these continual pressures of us all in the same place and at the point that uh, you finally spend hours going through a shopping journey, getting ready to buy something, the idea that there is some sort of pop-up, some sort of distraction or some sort of nudge that effectively is saying to you, are you sure? And um, that kind of level of distraction and anxiety, I would love to see us eliminate. I'd love to see that whole journey being super easy to find products, find trust with a retailer or brand, find confidence that you can order something and it's going to turn up turn up in a time that you want and then the product's going to arrive and it's all going to be super super easy super quick remove all of the stress and you know life's too short no i love that and at the end of the day what what can you do at that time that you're saving right people are only going to continue shopping online let's make it easier for them you know i've always heard it said you know people people have always said right consumers want more and more choice that's true to a point but, I, you know, I would argue and I've heard consumers don't just want more choice. They want better choice, right? They want things that are relevant to them that they might actually want to purchase. Um, you know, before we, we wrap it up, because you just hit on it, I'd love if you could talk to us a little bit about your experience starting a business fully remote, right? I mean, so has it been, is it about a year and a half now that IL3 has been around? Uh, talk, talk to us we're actually coming up to two years. So we founded, the oh, wow. we actually founded the business um, about a week before the UK went into its first ever lockdown. And it was that kind of like perfect storm for us as individuals where uh, our employer at the time, so I met my co-founder at our, our last employer, um, and they unfortunately uh, wound down the business uh, pretty suddenly and unexpectedly. And so that really was an opportunity after, you know, nearly 15 years in corporate with a few years in the, you know, the kind of cold face as an employee in a startup to say, well, actually, you know, it's a bit of a square peg in a round hole. What would happen if I, you know, backed by like my family, backed by my friends, backed by like, you know, the commercial partners and, and business friends that I've, I've had over the years? What would happen if now is maybe the time for us to try and solve the problem ourselves? And I must admit, it was pretty scary at the start taking out a £25,000 virgin startup loan to bootstrap a business for two co-founders with families and mortgages like young children just as we enter a pandemic uh it was incredibly um intimidating and by the way the the not still in the stomach two years later that doesn't really that's go what the tea is for right yeah that, 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 that <laughs> doesn't really go that that's why uh I, i'm sure that for as much as you may read on LinkedIn of founders that get up and meditate, do a gratitude journal and uh, have a cold shower and then have a really healthy breakfast. The reality is, and you know, not to say this is a great thing, but the reality is, is that most of us can't eat breakfast and we just exist on coffee until we get to the evening when maybe we're lucky and it becomes wine. No, and, and that's fair. And I'm glad you pointed that out because I think that the, the entrepreneurial journey has been really over glamorized, right? Because obviously the, if you have the drive, you should never not go for it. But people need to be realistic about it and realize that it's not always just the the successes and the awesome moments. There's a lot of really crappy moments too that 
you know, you gotta, you gotta deal with. So, you know, given the fact that it's such a unique time when you started this business, you know, what would you say was, you know, the most challenging part, I guess, of all of the things that you've had to do, whether that was finding talent, whether that was building the business itself? Yeah, so certainly finding talent has been um, uh, both a challenge, but also a massive opportunity. And that's been a general theme for almost everything that we've had within the business. You know, there have been huge challenges in almost every single aspect of building a business. But one thing that uh, myself and my co-founder have always focused on very, uh, very clearly is turning those negatives into positives. And so, you know, it's very difficult to build a culture when the entire business is built remotely. But building the business entirely remotely means that you actually get to tap into talent in different countries that you otherwise would never have even had a conversation. I mean, here we are having a conversation across, you know, across the Atlantic, right, that we just wouldn't have, our paths would have hardly crossed uh, without you know, the events of the last two years. And so that's been really difficult to build a business when you 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 can't sit alongside someone sometimes. And sometimes that's really great to do that. And also from the investment side of things. So we've raised about a million pounds now across a couple of rounds of investment. And, um, you know, there are investors that I've never met, I've never shook their hand and looked them in the eyes and said, don't worry, like, I'm going to do my best not to lose your money because, you know, 99% of startups actually do fail. And, you know, this is kind of a big thing that we're going for here now. So, uh, so let's feel excited about it, but realize that it's going to be a really tough journey for us to do that. And we need your support. And yet I've still not been able to shake anyone's hand and look them in the eye whilst I've been able to say that. And that in itself no, is a challenge. Absolutely. And it, it really is interesting how, you know, real relationships that are completely online can be right whether you know in, in business when you know you have a customer or a client or a partner you may work with for years and to your point you never actually look them in the eyes you're just staring at a computer screen um interesting things that COVID has done and honestly probably not something that's ever going to go away at this point exactly and, and i think that's why it's important to reflect that you know um feel very privileged that um, I was in a situation where I was able to be supported by my family and my friends. I was very lucky to be able to uh, be able to take the risk of taking a loan, which you know many people don't even have options to finance to start a business. Um, and also, I was in an area which you know wasn't decimated by um, you know the fallout of everything closing. And so, I suppose in part that's a little bit of an extra burden as well right because you know to talk to every founder and they'll probably tell you a bit about imposter syndrome and you know judging yourself against everyone else who all seems to be way more successful and all of all, everything else that you see everywhere uh, uh, online and in social media but we do kind of have a bit of a duty to try and uh, to, to try and make the most of this opportunity yeah no, that's absolutely true. And I love all the stuff that you share on LinkedIn. So if anybody ever needs, you know, to see some good motivational posts and a, a real life window into an entrepreneur's life, they definitely should go follow Thomas. So hopefully you don't get a huge, huge influx in followers. Um, well, you know, Thomas, is there anything that maybe we didn't discuss today that you think would be important for, you know, our listeners to take away from our conversation? 
Uh, I think you've given me a thorough grilling. I've really appreciated it, Nate. It's uh, super interesting. Uh, I think what's probably quite relevant with your audience uh, more towards the US. So uh, I've been really excited over the last uh, few weeks. I was over in New York for the National Retail Federation event, which was uh, suddenly very down on numbers, as you can imagine, but was a really great opportunity to engage with brands and retailers and lots of different solution partners. Um, I'm actually over at Shop Talk in Las Vegas at the end of March, and I'll follow that on to a visit to the Bay Area as well. So, you know, I, I'm, I'm very keen in this new uh, opened world and the fact that we really are trying to build a global business because we have a global team and we think this is a global problem, that if there are relevant partners, uh, friends, investors that want to find out more about our business. As you say, I'm very active on LinkedIn. Um, I'm normally a little bit better if people drop me a personal email. Uh, I appreciate the chance that there might be a few more followers on LinkedIn, but I'm sure half of them are, are virtual assistants or salespeople or bots or recruiters. Um, <laughs> I look forward to, to hearing from, uh, from people who might want to have a serious conversation about how they can help us grow this business across the globe. Awesome. Cool. Well, you know, I'm sure that, you know, like like you, I'm very excited that events are coming back. Um, so really excited to, you know, see any of the headlines come up and uh, some of the cool stuff that's going to come out of it. But Thomas, really appreciate the conversation today. Um, I personally got a lot out of it and I look forward to having you back on the show in the future. Thank you. And I look forward to bumping into an, uh, at an event and we can uh, we can have a free coffee or a beer at a free bar. Absolutely. That sounds beautiful. Now, before we, we sign off, where can our listeners uh, get in touch with aisle three? Uh, we've already talked about your LinkedIn, but if they anything we've said has resonated. Yeah. So uh, so the site is aisle dash three dot co. So that's A-I-S-L-E dash three dot co. Uh, we're currently focused very much on the UK, but please like check in, have a look, download the app um, register with the site and, you know, drop me any feedback, any advice, uh, anything that you think that we can change. We're always very receptive to uh, conversations with our, our shoppers. Awesome, Thomas. Well, thanks for sharing your time with us. Thank you very much, Nate. That's it for this episode of e-commerce with coffee powered by Amber Engine. If you haven't gotten your fix yet, be sure to get more e-commerce brand secrets on our website at amberengine.com. And don't forget to subscribe for more episodes.